Welcome to the final episode of our podcast, Engaging Politically with Grace and Truth. I'm Steve Jackson, pastor of Faith Community Church, and today is a special episode because I'm also here with Corey Gusky. Hello. And also Jeffrey Howe. Hi. We had originally planned to have a fourth episode where I gave a little bit of a rubric on how to make decisions politically, uh, but that, that, then that ended up landing pretty closely with uh, what I taught on Sunday. So we're actually going to add the link for Sunday's message. If you'd like a little more instruction on that, that will uh, be a, a right below our podcast here. And instead today, what we're going to do is answer some of the questions that have been submitted throughout the month that we've been recording this podcast. So we're going to do that in an interactive way today, and we hope that it's a blessing for you. Uh, but we also want you to know that this is just the beginning of the conversation. We don't anticipate that we will answer all of the questions today, and uh, we certainly invite uh, you to continue the conversation with us in the days ahead. So we're going to begin with the first question that uh, came in, and uh, Corey, why don't you take that away? If we are neither to engage as a warrior nor withdraw from the political process, are we to hide from others which candidates we support? For example, does a bumper sticker imply to others that the driver is unloving or attempting to be provocative? Why or why not? All right, I'll start on this one, Corey. Is it unliving or provocative to deploy a bumper sticker? Personally, I don't think so. Bumper stickers and the like are really an invitation to conversation. While they communicate a value or a belief or a statement of support that I might hold, they are open to interpretation and inference by anyone who reads them. Uh, that's why when we think about matters like bumper stickers or lawn signs or some of those sort of things, we need to be thinking them in terms of what sort of communication and what sort of conversations are they going to uh, spur on. Um, because I really do believe that political positions are best communicated via dialogue rather than something static like just a sign or a bumper sticker. Um, conversation always allows me to nuance my position which is usually a really necessary thing when it comes to political candidates or positions. Yeah, I think one of the, one of the tricks of political issues is that things tend to, to go in bunches, you know? Uh, if I say a candidate, you might be thinking of a dozen issues and somebody else might be thinking of a dozen more, and each of those have different ways of looking at it. Even in the question, it's sort of asked, you know, how am I going to come across to people? And that's impossible to say times every person you meet. What you were saying, Steve, like the idea of having conversations if I put a bumper sticker up on my car that I know is going to cause people to stumble or even hinder my ability to be able to present the gospel to them for whatever reason, whether they're right or wrong, I think that's something I need to weigh. Right. And there might be some bumper stickers or things that we proudly display that have a, a Christian value or truth to them that's timeless, that may more naturally promote a conversation that will lead us towards gospel conversations. That doesn't mean it can't happen with a political candidate or a, a, some position politically. Uh, but I do think that if, we're, if our goal is to engage in good conversation, before you put anything on your yard or on your car, be thinking, how am I going to get this to a point where it is a good gospel conversation moving forward with others? Yeah, so to put it in a nutshell, Christians do have the same freedom as everyone else to communicate what we believe. So, I mean, the answer to the question is, it's really a personal choice in the category of Christian liberty, whether or not to have a bumper sticker on your car. All right, here's another question. Should Christians vote for their leaders based more on the leader's character or the leader's political views and proposed policies? What do you think, Steve? 
All right, this is obviously a really big one out there right now, and uh, we've seen uh, men of extreme godly stature disagree on these particular matters, so we want to come to it with a measure of humility and grace on this matter, but I think we would all agree that character is extremely important, and character will ultimately form someone's behavior. Uh, what they value will start to work its way out in the way that they act. Um, here's where things get a little bit tricky. We're in a much better position to be able to evaluate our president's actions than we are what's going on inside of his mind and in his heart where his character resides. We certainly get glimpses of that. And I think if we're honest with one another, oftentimes the glimpses that we get are certainly not that encouraging. Uh, but I think we've all experienced in our lifetime as well that sometimes public perception of us is not the full story. And I think it can be challenging for us at times to make a final assessment of someone's character if we've never even spent five minutes with that person or seen them in their interactions with their wife or their children or other avenues. So while we don't want to discount the glimpses that we do see, I think we need to be careful of making an exhaustive statement about somebody's character when we haven't even spent so much as five minutes personally with them. Well, there's also the fact that what we're talking about is comparing characters. And so even if you have a pretty good sense of one person's character and you have a less clear picture on the other guys, that doesn't necessarily mean that one, you know, is better than the other. It becomes really tricky to say, well, I've never heard this person say anything wicked, therefore they must be noble and good and kind and the other guy's not. This idea of, and even, you know, comparing one person's sins to another person's sins, that's a very difficult thing no matter how biblically you approach it. And it's something I think is very difficult to weigh the yeah. entire measure on. Yeah. Jesus, when he gave the Sermon on the Mount, gave some instruction for those that are false teachers, and oftentimes the people wouldn't have direct access to these false teachers' lives mm -hmm. to dialogue with them, but the, the primary test he gave at that particular point is that you'll know them by their fruits, whether they're mm -hmm. good or evil. And I think that that's also a good uh, test for us to put forward for any candidate that we uh, consider. Uh, what have they done? Have they sought to keep their promises? Have they sought to do justice in the legislation that they have pursued? These oftentimes will probably give us the clearest picture uh, of what's really going on in a man's heart. So I think it is safe for us to focus a little bit more on a leader's actions or policies uh, since we don't have access to the inner workings of their personal character. As a, as a concluding thought on the matter as well, Steve, there's, there's really the idea that there's going to be a great deal of uh, debate and disagreement on that issue, exactly how we weigh these things, because it's not clear. And some things, frankly, matter more to some people than, than they do to others, and this is where people are going to disagree. I, I was actually really encouraged recently. You mentioned uh, seeing recently articles by John Piper and Wayne Grudem coming to different perspectives on exactly this issue. You know, on the, one, on the one hand, it would be great if all of our leaders agreed on things and we had a clear answer to give and everything was crystal clear. That'd be amazing, I'd love that. But when we see those kind of disagreements, it allows us to see people disagree graciously. Uh, particularly, Grudem was the one who wrote the second article and he said he responded to Piper. They talked before Grudem printed out his, right? And then uh, he even said Piper had some ideas on how to strengthen some of his argument. Right? Yeah. Which, which is a one picture of, of humility. Oh my goodness, that was so gracious that, yeah, uh, may we disagree the way they disagree on these issues and continue to, you know, love each other and strengthen the body of Christ, even as we disagree on points of politics. Yeah. And, and one note, perhaps, on, um, I, I, thought, I thought a particularly poignant point that um, Wayne Grudem made in his article is, 
um, that when it comes to the character of our president or our governmental leaders, we have a choice of whether or not we uh, follow their example or not. We unfortunately don't have a choice on the policies and laws that they pass. <laughs> and therefore, uh, there is wisdom in us considering, okay, what are these policies? What are the uh, legislations that they're pursuing? Because those will be binding for all of us. And that's a pretty significant matter for all of us to consider. All right, uh, our next question. Should Christians prioritize certain political issues above others? I think the quick answer is yes. Uh, we ought to prioritize those political issues that we have biblical clarity on. If this is a straight line issue, that means that God's word is clear on the matter and the godly response is obvious, then we ought to give those things greater weight. Um, I think we also ought to give uh, consideration to which political issues have the biggest practical consequences. Uh, for instance, a leader's position on reopening the economy is going to have a huge practical consequence for the majority of workers in America and affect their livelihood, while other issues may not have the same level of consequence or impact. But what's interesting about that too is if you talk about what's going to impact whom and which uh, and what issues therefore matter the most to different people, they are going to affect different people differently. You know, like you just gave a, a really good example of something that affects basically everybody. Right now, even as I'm trying to think of something that would be an unimportant issue, even those unimportant issues are important to somebody. That's why they're issues. And yeah. we don't want to, frankly, I don't want to give an example that's going to make somebody feel like we don't, you know, value something that matters to them. Right. But then we have to weigh that against the fact that our ultimate standard of truth is God's word. Mm. And therefore, certain things do carry greater consequence because God's spoken clearly. You know, we, we want to we be able to extend grace to those that re recognizing, okay, everyone's going to have a little bit different priorities on different things. But we also want to have the Word of God be that ultimate measuring stick in our lives. It's saying, if God's Word has said it, and it's very clear, then I want to give the uh, adequate weight that that deserves. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think that that gets back to one of the goals we had with our podcast series was not only to dwell upon the message, but also the manner in which we engage. Um, Corey, you spoke on you know, engaging lovingly, not with contempt, because there will be disagreements. And I, my attempt was to just encourage us towards humility and to listen. I think that rings true here. Even on Scripture, on a, on a sunny day when everything is going great, people still differ on Scripture, too. And so as we, the body, you know, humbly approach the Word of God, as we, we the body, humbly, um, you know, seek counsel from one another and, and apply ourselves to understanding, that's really, I think, the pathway to more of a corporate unity and more of a, a healthy dialogue, even if we end up at different points uh, of opinion at the end of it. Right. And that's not to say that we don't form fully convinced convictions. The Bible encourages us to do that. But we just need to do that, especially with our brothers and sisters in Christ, in a spirit where we're refusing to cast judgment on them if they land at a different place than us. God's more than capable of taking care of his children and providing the ultimate judgment on what takes place. All right, so here's our next question. What does it look like for a Christian to exercise his or her constitutional rights when disagreeing with a political leader while simultaneously submitting to and respecting that leader? Well, we do live in a unique place where the Constitution itself is the cornerstone of our democracy. Uh, we aren't bound by a monarch or one singular human leader. And, and therefore, our ultimate allegiance, our ultimate call to authority is the Constitution itself. So it is 
oftentimes possible for us to find ourselves in a situation here in the United States of America where we are fully submitting to the ultimate authority of the land, the Constitution, and yet still find ourselves at odds with a human governing authority who is operating outside of that Constitution. And that's a unfortunately a very real place that we have found ourselves in, might currently be finding ourselves in, and probably will at some point in the future. And, and we do have really good examples of, in the past where that's been done. I, I'm thinking of the civil rights movement in the South, where the, the law of the land and certain governors and local authorities said, this is what you guys have to do. And the response was no, because you look at the Constitution, which affirms uh, that you know we have certain inalienable rights, and they embrace those rights, and uh, and through local persecution, we're able to submit to a constitution, um, and uh, with respect, with uh, uh, dignity, you know, we're able to do something that uh, people at the time even decried as being uh, uh, rebellious, you know, mm-hmm. um, and yet did it in a way that honored God and was ultimately uh, something that was in submission, like you said, to our authorities. Yeah, and interestingly enough, our constitution actually makes the provision in it when. Uh, misuse of power is being employed, that we are as the people to rise up and to maintain the standards that have been set out in our Constitution. So even within the document itself is given the opportunity for us uh, to rise up in those particular matters. And just as a practical note, I mean, every day there are uh, Christian lawyers and law firms out there uh, in court over these kinds of things, Mm -hmm. trying to defend constitutional rights, trying to protect religious freedoms and these are individuals who are on the front line of battle that we can be praying for, that we can be following, we can stay informed. I mean, for some, politics is a once every four years or once every two years kind of endeavor. Like, oh yeah, there's an election coming up. And so we, we like get our nose down to the grindstone. We try and read those thousand mailers that come in the mailbox and you know, still end up at the polls deciding as we drive there. But the, the battle you know, for the Constitution and, and just what it means, what it, how it should be enacted... Is an ongoing thing so you know may we as the church be part of that process every day not just a couple times each decade yeah and when we do find ourselves in that uh, difficult spot of uh, standing against a human governing authority and seeking to be faithful to the constitution of this land we must always do that still in a spirit of respect clearly stating the reasons why we're doing what we're doing and doing it in a spirit of love and not anger and resentment and vitriolic speech. Um, those never are honoring to God, even when we're on the right side of the equation. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the, one of the challenges, like we talked about in the podcast, is when we stand against people politically, it can be very easy to, uh, to look at how wrong they are and how we have to fight against them and to let that turn into anger and in our humanness turn that into hatred or even violence, um, and we're constantly, you know, called back to the scriptural principle that these people that we are politically opposing on a, in a spiritual sense, those are our targets. Those are the people that we're trying to go after, that we want to be winsome and win for the gospel and the glory of Jesus Christ. Our goal is not that these people will burn in eternity for hell, even if we want them to lose politically. We must continue to reach out and to ultimately love these folks who might politically for a time be on the other side of an issue. Okay, the next question is, in the event that no candidate represents what a Christian is looking for in a leader, should Christians still vote for the lesser of two evils or not vote at all? Okay, see, this is such a tricky question because literally every election, you've got two people who are flawed human beings, who've made mistakes, who are wrong about things. Um, So on some degree, 
all of them, every single one, is a, is a, is a measure of who's going to be the lesser of two evils, all of them. Um, and so we have to grapple with this. Um, I think we need to be careful to, to recognize that um, everyone's conscience operates at a little bit of a different level. I think we've experienced that just in our interaction with brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, Paul is honest about this in Romans 14, that the conscience levels of believers can oftentimes be very different. And his consistent instruction is that if your conscience is telling you no, then don't proceed. God gave you that conscience for a reason. You don't want to sear it. You don't want it to become, uh, un, you know, no longer functioning the way that God intended for it to function. So if you in good conscience before God feel as though a vote for either one is a direct sin to God, my encouragement to you is allow your conscience to guide you in that matter. Um, and perhaps God will change your conviction in a future election. But if that's where you're at today, um, I would not encourage you to just blow by your conscience on this matter um, just because others are telling you to. Yeah, and I think, I mean, if your conscience does allow you to vote, my suggestion would be to vote for that candidate who most embodies the things that accord with the straight-line issues of Scripture. Um, others have said it more eloquently than I will right now, but um, believers will likely never find a political party that will be a perfect match for them in every way. We need to perfectly choose the platform that most accomplishes God's purposes in the world. Right, and I think it is good for us to not just simply look at it through the lens of lesser of two evils, but instead trying to look at it through a positive lens of saying, who is best pursuing justice? They may not be doing it perfectly, and they're not doing it ideally, but who is best pursuing it? And whom do I see more truth and what is honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable or excellent? Uh, we're never going to find somebody who meets that fully, but who is best pursuing those sort of things? And then if we're able to land there, I, I believe we should vote. I, if your conscience isn't um, screaming out to you, don't vote, uh, I would really encourage you to consider voting. Um, because I, I still have yet to be convinced of a meaningful strategy of what a no vote is just for the sake of I don't like either candidate. Um, and not that we want to become terribly pragmatic, but uh, in many ways, the best answers in life aren't often, well, I just won't do it. <laughs> uh, many times we have to meaningfully move forward and make difficult decisions, even though they aren't easy and they're not ideal. Yeah. One of the benefits, Jeff, uh, with, with this idea of scriptural things is we have the ability to say that there is such a thing as light and dark and good and evil. We have a hundred and a zero. So much of life really is more like a 60-40. Right. And that can be that can be really tricky to vote for the sixty, but like like you said, Steve, the uh, you know if I don't engage in the process, then there are, there's a net good that could be accomplished. It's not now. Yeah, and we sometimes talk in the church here about certain matters where we say, you know, if if your conscience isn't binding you on this, um, can you do this just simply because your elders asked you to do that? Mm. Um, and you know, we live in a country where we are asked and encouraged to participate in the voting process. Uh, that's something that is expected of us as a good citizen of this land. And if we don't have a moral or a conscious objection to doing so, um, I, I think we ought to engage just simply for the fact that it's, it's a good and right expectation set upon us by our governing authorities. Okay, uh, next question. How do we interact with people, especially believers, 
with whom we disagree, especially if we're convinced that they are wrong or if we see them acting unchristlike. As a pastor, I love questions like this because uh, it gets to the heart of what it looks like to truly love one another. And uh, that's never easy. And uh, it's, it is easy sometimes to love people who are just like you and who think just like you and act just like you. But uh, if you live long enough, you're going to run across many brothers and sisters in Christ who you wonder, how in the world <laughs> do we end up in the same family? And these are the times where our faith and our love really has to be uh, stretched. I, I think as we consider um, whether there's uh, uh, a way to interact that is uh, godly and honoring, any time that our conversation or our interaction is leading towards peace or mutual upbuilding, then I think even if we don't land at the same place, it's going to be a profitable time for one another. But when our conversation is leading to the opposite of that, uh, angry, divisive uh, language, and we're beginning to put one another down rather than build one another up, then it's time for that dialogue to cease. Uh, it's, it's no longer accomplishing any God-honoring purposes, and it's not going to lead to any sort of outcome that either one of you are proud of. And, now that, and the challenge with that is sometimes we're tempted to try to predict the future. Well, if I bring this up, we're just going to argue about it, you know, Therefore, I, I should not even engage the conversation. Sometimes that's true, and you should go with your gut. That's fair. At the same time, we do have biblical mandates of being those who, uh, you know, do lovingly confront, you know, sometimes our, our brothers and sisters. Um, I'm thinking of uh, Galatians 6.1 is something that comes to my mind. It says, uh, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And that really unpacks the whole thing there, that yes, it is my job if I see my brother and sister falling into sin to, to love them, and okay, maybe sometimes to let, you know, let love cover it, but if I see them headed toward death out of love, I should be someone who will come alongside them and yeah. help them and, see And them. hopefully win your brother, not win the argument, Amen. right? And those are oftentimes two Agreed. different tasks. Our heart always needs to be to win our brother or our sister in this situation. So if we do see some, some alarming uh, thought process that is contrary to scripture, then you're right. We, we need to lovingly confront, uh, but, but we need to, as it were, change hats at that point. It's no longer a political conversation mm -hmm. of where we land on these particular matters. Yeah. It's we're brothers and sisters in Christ, and we want to make sure that we're living our lives uh, humbly submitted to the truth of God's word. So I, I do think in those matters where, where there's a clear contradiction of scripture, we need to move into that Galatians 6-1 zone rather than what we need to be doing in this election or with this legislative policy. So just to kind of apply a scriptural precept to this, keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. It becomes really easy when you're in the context of a debate, uh, perhaps a disagreement yeah. about something you really believe in. It becomes difficult to be able to have perspective because sometimes we just want to win the argument. But what's being said here. I believe is that it's more important to win our brother, our sister. It's more important to continue to fulfill that job description of ambassador of Christ and, mm. and be one who's seeking to, to build one another up. More important than winning the political debate or, or proving our point or demonstrating beyond a shadow of a doubt that we know more about XYZ topic. Yeah. So I think there's a caution here, a, a warning just for us to keep in mind that can we not also succumb to the temptation to pursue the fleshly end when in fact we're called primarily to the spiritual end. I know sometimes it's, it's my temptation. Uh, I have 
seen people acting in a way that I felt was was concerning, but I'm you know I do think it was appropriate to to reach out. I'm not convinced that I always did it in the right way, um, and that the challenge for me has always been when I see that speck in your eye, right? That I do want to come and help with that, but scripturally I need to look at that log in my own first and make sure that you know I'm also not being tempted like Galatians says with this you know the same sin that I see in my brother and sister. Yeah, I think. So many times the spirit with which we come to a disagreement um, is the greatest predictor whether we're going to have a positive outcome or not. Mm -hmm. You may have the best arguments in the world. You may have all of your ducks in a row. But if you come into that discussion with a contentious spirit, a proud spirit, a condescending spirit, so seldom does it ever lead to a positive outcome. Whereas even if you are farther apart... (laughs) But you come at it with a spirit of gentleness and humility and asking good questions and truly listening. Oftentimes, those conversations end up having a really positive outcome yeah. uh, just because of the way that we have approached it. May we all come with that sort of humility and care for our brothers and sisters, especially when we disagree. We're, we're ending our podcast, but this should not be the end of the conversation. This is the beginning of something we hope continues past, certainly, November 3rd. Like Jeff said, this is not something we only do every four years. We're going to have things that we struggle with, and we shouldn't struggle with them alone. We are surrounded by people who have asked a lot of the same questions and are dealing with the same things across our church, but across the country. So share your questions. Talk to people. Engage with your life group leaders and your kids and your brothers and sisters in Christ so that we can continue to grow in these things. And yes, as a church, we do want to continue having these conversations from the pulpit, in life groups, you know, as they come up. We should not be struggling with these things on our own. We are going to keep the questions at faithcommunitychurch.com email open for a while. So if you didn't get a chance to submit one of your questions and there's something that's still heavy on your heart, uh, send it to us. We won't have any more official podcasts, but we'll be happy to respond to you via email or give you a call. So uh, please continue to dialogue with us in that manner. And as you see us on Sunday mornings or around, uh, come up and chat with us as well. We'd love to talk with you more about these things. It's been our pleasure to do these four podcasts. We hope that they've been a blessing to you. And uh, we look forward to doing similar things like this in the future. So until then, God bless you all. <laughs>